You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. spooky season for the past four years, we have brought you all tales of dread. From gruesome murders and hauntings, to the history of Halloween, and ghost tales from our own home province of British Columbia. Alas, we are indeed slightly late to the spooky table this season. Whether fashionably late or not, we endeavor to keep the feel of perpetual dread we expect from October's wonders alive and well flowing over into the ever-growing darkness and cold of November, where the terror we love so much is perhaps even more at home. And so, tonight, on Into the Portal, we bring you all three classic tales of terror and dread, each with their own unique chill. In classic ITP fashion, you'll get a dose of historical nightmares, along with some cases that might sound like fables, but only to those who are lucky enough to have never experienced it for themselves. So join us on Into the Portal as we explore some haunting tales of an entity that has come to be known as the Old Hag and venture to one of the most remote places on Earth for a real-life case far worse than the Lord of the Flies. Hello, everybody. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome back into the portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Mm-hmm. Well, holy shit. We are back. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's what. That's it. That's it. That's all you got? I don't know. What, what do you got? got? I don't, well, not that much more than that, I suppose. It's, I shouldn't be calling you out. Yeah. We are back. Mm-hmm. It's been a, a hot sec. Yeah. It's been a minute. It has. Amber's been busy. It's been a, it's been a, uh, a season and a half. I don't know. Yeah, you got a bit raked over the cold time's, season. Time's flown. So, anyways, it is what it is. But we're here, and we have sure. some fun things to talk about today. Yes, and, indeed. And uh, of course, fashionably late as always on ITV for this uh, Halloween special. Yeah, just creepy so season special. Let's just keep the creepy vibes rolling. Maybe I don't know. That's what we're kind of going with. That's the that's the name of this episode. Basically, keep the creepy vibes rolling because yeah, yeah. We, obviously we are a little bit late. To Halloween here. We hope you guys all had an awesome Halloween and a great October. But, you know, I have heard from multiple different people that they just kind of keep, they they sort of ignore Thanksgiving. Like if they're down south, if like if you're American, (laughs) if you're one of our American friends, listeners, sometimes like you enjoy Thanksgiving, you eat the, you know, you eat the sweet potato pies, but you're still indulging in the 
the horror movies. You're still kind of like riding the wave that's continuing. At least I know Mark Storrs is doing that. But they don't even have Thanksgiving (laughs) until the end of the month. I know, but and, but you know what I mean. What like the about? stores are already Christmas, so you have to think that people's like decorations and the vibe is all Thanksgiving because Halloween's over, and you've got one more holiday you got to cram in before it's the Christmas season. Even though it's you got to cram even, it in. I mean, it is all kind right. of sandwiched in there, isn't it? Anyway, yes. I, I don't know. I honestly, I think we're insulting a lot of Americans right now because I think uh, Thanksgiving is just as big of a deal as well, Christmas. To, it is to Bob for sure. Bob and Bob's and a burgers. lot of other people out there. Yeah, I don't know what it is. It was kind of weird. Actually, I had this conversation with a couple of Americans that were in the shop the other day, and they said that... It's a big deal. Well, obviously it's a big deal. They said, like, you know, it's a big deal for different reasons, and for them, they don't really care as much, because, like, they're like, well, it's good food and everything, but, you know, Christmas is great for the gifts. <laughs> but uh, obviously, the weird yeah. thing that they said, though, that I had to point out was, I was so confused, because they are like, what is Boxing Day? Really? Like, what are you talking about? It's like a day where people go and watch boxing? Boxing day. What do you mean? <laughs> What did they think it was? And they didn't understand because they have Black Friday down there. Which well, we do we, too. I know. We have that because we just copy them. Right. True. But it's it true. doesn't mean the same things up here as it does down there, really. Right. And they were confused because I think their Black Friday is our boxing day. Oh, I, right, because you know it's I mean? like, it is the day after Christmas. Go get your deals. But is not that the e- vibe? I guess, because do they usually have Thanksgiving on Thursday? I mean, we watch a I lot of American television. We should know this. Americans. We've seen these these ads on TV. Reach out to us. <laughs> no, we're seeing W or slash, uh, what's it called? Hallmark movie Christmas shows that's, on TV already. That's what we're seeing that is up the here. Ad. Those are the ads. In the Great White North. Okay, but right. that is the sentiment that I was trying to get. That was the point I was trying to make. Those <laughs> are the ads we're getting already. Christmas is in full swing. People who aren't into Halloween are already fully into Thanksgiving mode. And for the people who like scary, spooky stuff, we're keeping it rolling. I guess. I Yeah. The long-winded version. We're here for it. <laughs> if you guys are. Exactly. So, tonight we wanted to take you guys on a few different tales. Three, to be specific. Journeys of terror. Bridging a gap between what is real and imaginary. This continuing, dare I say, Halloween season. We're keeping it going. We still have a haunt, had a haunted house cookie jar up at our house. <laughs> Today, <laughs> day of recording. There were some spooky so. vibes outside, too. It was really misty and really spooky. It is kind of spooky. Kind of there. ethereal, really. Meant to be that we're recording today, then. All right, so first up, we have a tale that truly is um, horrifying. And a classic case that that has been told for centuries now. I mean, bare minimum decades, but if you go back, there's definitely, like, associated tales told for centuries in Newfoundland and Labrador of an entity known as the Old Hag. Now, throughout history, it's been described as different sort of things to different people. To some people, it appears as a disgusting-looking old woman with long, strange, tangled, knotted hair who finds her way onto your chest, sits there, and crushes you until you can't breathe anymore. For other people, the figure appears as the same, an old woman-like entity that stands in the corner of the room, just watching you, waiting for something, perhaps, Uh, Very ominous, very strange. Other people see this creature, we might call it, hovering above them in bed, staring at them. But regardless of how she visits you, just pray that you don't have, have this happen to yourself, because it does happen frequently and it is terrifying. So, in many ways, this is a ghost story, but to some it's so much more than just a tale that's been told for centuries in this area of Canada, and 
versions of it around the world as well. For some, this case is something between a ghost story and the world of dreams and that of waking nightmares, real experiences happening with real entities uh, that leave people just (laughs) terrified, that's for sure. So strap in. This first story comes from a book that we love uh, and an author we love named Dale Jarvis. He's a folklorist and uh, an author. We have a few different books from him. Haunted Ground is the story, uh, the book that we're pulling this first story from. So this first one is called The Old Hag Comes to Visit. It begins in 1972 with a guy by the name of Lloyd Pike. Before I even jump right into this, do you have anything to say before we kick things off? Old Hag. I mean, you'd heard about this before we started doing the podcast, maybe. I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure if I had. Probably, yeah. Well, just versions of it. Just well, as, like, campfire ghost story type Like, we're, stuff. we're explaining this in a very culturally specific context, but there mm-hmm. are, like you alluded to, other explanations worldwide and other references historically in even, like, art and stuff like that of, yeah. of similar phenomena. Like, you know, if you want to call it phenomena, you want to call it a condition, you want to call it something. Like, there's various explanations, obviously, but we'll Absolutely. get to that. Yes, yes, yes. We'll get, mm-hmm. we'll get to that. And, and totally, if you guys want to right now, go Google, the, Google old hag, just so you have this the, image in your head while yeah. we tell the story, because it's not pleasant. It's something that I think could be closely related to other, like, quote-unquote, waking nightmares, whether it be, like, the hat man or, um, like, certain, like, black shadow figure type people, things yes. like that. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, it, you kind of referenced a couple different, like, experiences that people have, like, that are most common. Right. But I think some of these stories we're going to talk about kind of even go beyond that in as far as... You know, you might have a sensation of being watched or not being alone, but then it's accompanied by other things, and yes. they're more sensational, perhaps. Not sensational, but just, like, sensory is maybe what I mean. Absolutely. And then Lloyd's story is kind of intriguing in that regard, so maybe okay. I'll, I'll just, like, get into it. Yeah, we'll jump into it. So this first one, like I said, 1972, this was a guy by the name of Lloyd Pike, and I'm just going to kind of read through this this uh, intro paragraph I had written here. So he was not the type of man to believe in ghosts or spirits, a no-nonsense kind of guy. However, the encounter he was about to have would make him question his reality forever onward. He was spending his first term as a teacher. Um, he was uh, teaching at this place called Pass Island, small coastal community, a couple hundred people living there. And Mr. Pike, not having many options on the island when he first arrived, was sent to stay in the boarding house before he was being set up in his permanent establishment. His window in the boarding house was actually overlooking the school that he was to be teaching at, called Mooring Cove. So this place, inside the walls of this old wooden boarding house, Mr. Pike met the old hag for the first time. She came in the night so in a night so dark that Mr. Pike would later describe not being able to see anything at all, not even his own hand in front of his face, no moonlight. It was as if an extra layer of darkness had just fallen upon him. There was nothing he could see. So this is how the story goes. Mr. Pike had this to say. There was a window next to the door with an old-fashioned handmade lace curtain on it. It was very dark, but you could see in the window a slight illumination, a strange flicker of light. 
That was the beacon light for mariners, which was up on the hill, but would constantly flick, and by that light you could see a pattern in that, of that lace curtain. I guess I had fallen asleep, but everything was so real I thought like I was still awake. I'm still not sure. I was lying there, listening to the foghorn, waiting for sleep, and then I felt that someone had come to the door. Of course I couldn't see anyone, because it was so dark, but I just knew someone was there. I waited for someone to speak, perhaps the landlady checking in on me, or her mother, but nobody spoke. I waited, and then I had a sense that a person was walking into the room. The beacon was flickering in the window, the only bit of illumination you could see in the room. I was waiting for the shadow of someone to pass in front of the window, but nothing happened. Then, I had the sense that the person was standing next to the bed, looking down at me. At this point, I started to get a little creepy feeling up the back of my spine. This was odd behavior. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. And then I had the sense that the person was moving through the bed. At this point, you would think you must know you were asleep, but it wasn't like that. As they got to to the point where I was laying in the bed and they moved through where my body was, I felt this bone-chilling cold. I've never felt so cold in my life. I feel it still. It went right to the bone. I was laying there getting more and more terrified all the time and then the person moved through my body and the cold went away and the warmth returned. It went to the wall, and then I felt the person come back through me again and again. As they passed through me, I could feel that bone-chilling cold, all while the foghorn was repeating its sound and the beacon was flickering. Then, the second most terrifying thing. I knew the person was in the room, but I didn't know where. Then, I felt hands reach up through the bed, and grab me by the biceps and begin to pull me down through the bed. That is the moment that I snapped awake. At least that's what I thought. I couldn't move. I'd never had an experience like this before. I absolutely could not move my eyes. I swear that I could still feel the pressure of the fingers on my biceps pulling me through the bed. I was very tense. I laid there a long, long time like that. And eventually movement came back to me, and the sensation went away from my arms, but the terror didn't. I was absolutely terrified. Of course, I survived. The next day, when I told people, they said, oh, that was the old hag. And I said, what's that? I've never heard of that. And that's it. (laughs) That was the experience Mm. of Mr. Pike. Poor Lloyd. In the boarding house in Newfoundland and Labrador. With the old egg. What do we think of that? Yeah, I know. That's definitely super creepy and disturbing to a certain extent. Like, there's, there's so many things to kind of pick apart as far as, like, essentially, like, coming to the sensation of feeling like you're not alone for whatever reason the the thing that is perplexing to me is like not having any visual like it's so black but it's like can you see through the black to have that feeling like the person is moving through the bed like how would he know the person's moving through like the bed all until, he has is the, the until the f- he like felt the cold i guess you like know all I mean? he had was that flicker yeah right yeah. so he's like he senses them at the door. You kind of know the distance between yourself and the door. You sense them there, mm-hmm. but you don't see a shadow when they walk where the, where it should be. Yeah. 
because that's the only smell. But how would you know they're moving though? Because you're not hearing any boards creak. Well, he didn't describe that. That's just that that sensation that you can't describe. That's that Mm -hmm. like sixth sense thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? That people get the hair on the back of your neck where you're just like you yeah you can't see it but you're just like you know something's there i mean i've definitely i've never had this happen to me but i've had this sensation before Mm -hmm. not the pulling on the biceps part we can get to that in a sec well that's pretty physical too and that was something that i kind of was trying to allude to before you even got into the story because i thought that was very unique to his story but maybe it's not so much um but people have definitely described not being able to move in certain situations such as this and other situations, if you want to explain it away using sleep paralysis as the explanation, like right. a lot of people would. Right. But the idea of being physically pulled through the bed is kind of creepy because, like, a lot of people will experience things like feeling like they're falling falling while they're sleeping, and then they'll, they might have fallen off their bed or something like that. But, like, for him to have not fallen off his bed at all, and he's just still feels this tenseness. Like, that seems to me to be almost like... So the, akin to yeah. like a panic attack. Yeah, and yeah, like and and, your, and if he's in this new strange environment, you could allude or, or attribute, I should say, not allude, um, to some of that causing this. Like you know, the stresses, the anxieties of being in a new position in a new totally. place. It's something that's seemingly not permanent. I don't know what the details were with his. I mean, I don't, think, I don't think you're living in the boarding house, like, for the rest of your life kind of thing. Well, but, like, you might have back in the day as a teacher. I think a lot of people did This was that. in the 70s, though. Oh. Like, sounded very temp. Temp yeah. situation. Okay. Okay. If it was, like, the 30s or the 40s or 50s, yeah. like, maybe. Exactly. But, exactly. Yeah, what is that? It's, like, the notes that I, when I first read through this, like, I just... The, okay, there's there are certain sensations, like the sensation of being cold, so feeling like you've been passed through, that's very much related to paranormal phenomena, like, you know, related to uh, spiritual visitation, things like that. Yeah, we got into that a bit with, with Stephen Yeah, Williams. exactly. Um, but then also being grabbed. Like, Stephen actually described that, too, with some of his experiences being in houses and things like that. But yeah. That's... But it, it's so strange to think that he could suddenly snap awake. But then it almost seemed like he didn't snap awake because he was still feeling as if he was being grabbed. Like, do you feel that? Do you ever have dreams where you wake up and you're like, you were just in like a fist fight with someone or you're just doing something really <laughs> physical or, or like, I don't know. I mean, and yeah. And then you wake up and you're like, feels like you're still doing that. Like, I don't know if I can explain that or describe that. I don't I think mean, I... mean, not recently, so it's hard for me to kind of like mm-hmm. think back on it. For me, but it's I... always just visual with dreams. Yeah. It's very... I don't really experience things like hot or cold sensation. You know, like, that's kind of weird. No, that's next level. Or like, the sensation You might grabbed. wake up sweating. Like, yeah. you might wake up sweating or something But that's like when you're that. awake. But that's, that's not different. That's not when you're sleeping. Right. Well, <laughs> right. I don't I mean, know. You start sweating while you sleep, but, and then you wake okay. up. Getting into this whole, like, do, do you want to make any more comments before we, like, get into the sleep paralysis kind of explanation? Well, or? no. I mean, like, just before you get right into this, though, I mean, yeah. th- that is that is kind of just the... Uh, Okay, well, just go go ahead and get into it, and then I've got a few things to say. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not even really, like, just to cover the basics. Like, you know, people do explain the old hag and other sort of, like, situations similar to this as sleep paralysis. And it basically is often attributed to just the idea of being in between sleep stages, like, in between REM and wakefulness, which of is course. a weird state. Right. And so sometimes you can have these sensations of the inability to move 
or slasher. or feeling like you're being held down. And slash, you're you're seeing you might be dream like kind of half dreaming. Yeah, but you feel like you're awake. Exactly. So the right? feeling is quote unquote so real or intense that people have a hard time accepting they were really asleep during the experience. Right. Mm-hmm. The so and that's and that's what comes up with okay so just and just so everyone out there listening so we're we're all thinking on we're all on the same page mm-hmm. here the other entities or experiences or kind of situations where this often comes up as an explanation is with the hat man very mm-hmm. similar to the old hag where yeah. it's like an entity in the room basically mm-hmm. watching yeah. you sitting on you doing weird shit like yeah. not pleasant at all and then shadow people shadow people yeah. which mm-hmm. you know extensive paranormal mm-hmm. you know like essays and like works on that because it, it's its own category altogether yeah where are they coming from what the hell are they but it's also associated with sleep paralysis because that is sort of the experience people have it is at night it is in bed quite often in in strange states of mind yeah but that's why this is so freaking creepy because Mm -hmm. the question to me is like whether or not there's if that is like the opening point you know what i mean it's like yeah Mm, you're in this state of mind where <laughs> like you might be transcending act- something is that what you're trying to say like like like, like hmm. it's not as if like someone else could walk into the room at that exact moment and see the hands of the old hag reaching through the bed and pulling down on mr pike but that's not to say that that pressure wasn't actually happening mm-hmm. you get what i'm saying yeah what i'm trying to think of the movie we were watching not too too long ago where it was exactly that where it's almost like someone getting beat up by an invisible force oh yeah what, what was, was that? that i'm totally mr i don't remember what the movie was called no i can't remember what movie that was either hmm. and it It'll was, come it was really ridiculous so we were just like watching this we we're like why are you doing anything to intervene on this right now and she's like up on the ceiling getting like choked and stuff and we we're like what is it's like it was some dumb eighties movie, wasn't it? Right. It was like ridiculous, but equally creepy. Equally creepy. We equally. also just described the most recent uh, season of Stranger Things, except they, it was more effective. Mm, <laughs> much that was more effective. Way more effective. Much more effective. Yeah. No spoilers, obviously. No. I mean, not... actually just started rewatching season one. I mean, it's also been it's been long enough. Well, can't spoil. We're not things. gonna get in. No, no. We're not getting into that. No. No. But no. needless to say, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm definitely of the mind that. There's, it isn't just sleep paralysis when it comes to these cases. Mm. It's definitely a factor that people experience things that aren't actually happening. They're having waking nightmares, literal waking nightmares. But what's so bizarre and so strange about the old hag is that people literally who have like never even, like this guy never even knew about it. He Mm. never knew about this phenomena before. He had never experienced sleep paralysis before. Mm-hmm. He had never had these types of nightmares before. And all of a sudden you're just in this one strange place and this happens to you. But this is like happened to not not just dozens, hundreds of people mm-hmm. in this area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's people who don't know each other, haven't shared the story, and they often have identical experiences with nearly identical entities. Hmm. And so is that just like literally like I mean, we can't be talking cultural suggestion from film and things like that, like stretching back into the, the you know, the teens and 20s and 30s for people out on the coast. They're experiencing just something extremely strange. Maybe. We don't get... Well, actually, I'm not going to say we don't get things like this around here because I have a... Oh, there's hauntings. I... No, no, like sure. I even have a personal story I'm going to share after. I oh, think, good I, I think I think we should get into the second one, though. Okay. Because there's, there's not just one. No, and this one's oh, actually, honestly, count. it has its own mm-hmm. just very disturbing aspect to it that's completely different. 
so let's get into that. All right, so this next account comes from a more modern-day setting, and it's from a woman named Ashley Byrne. And this is kind of bizarre, but it's considered an old hag story. It yeah. fits into the genre because of several elements, and let's get into it here. So, Ashley Byrne, this is a quote here, was hagged. <laughs> sorry, I had to it. She's got hagged. She's she hagged. got hagged. In 2012. It's that ubiquitous, people. So this is a decade ago. Yeah. Not, not too that, long ago. Not that long. And this was while living in Goose Cove on the northern peninsula near St. Anthony. It was an experience she describes today as the worst feeling of her life. And this is a quote from Ashley herself. It was the most terrifying, unnerving thing I have ever experienced. Horrible. I was lying on my side, facing my husband. The front of my body felt like it was on fire, and my back was colder than I've ever felt before or since. The room was so chaotic, it was almost vibrating. I couldn't move anything except for my eyes. At the foot of the bed was a long dresser. There were two children, little boys, sitting on the dresser looking at me. I could see a figure lying behind me, and then I felt ice-cold fingers run down my back. I can still see the picture of the children I saw so vividly. The one boy was wearing a gray knitted sweater, and the other fellow was wearing a blue woolen salt-and-pepper kind of hat and a white long sleeve button-up shirt and suspenders. It is etched into my memory so clearly. All this happened in less than a minute. I was screaming my husband's name, or so I thought. The third time I screamed his name, everything stopped and was quiet and peaceful, and I could move. <laughs> End quote. And that's it. And what the heck? Comments. So, so okay. just to, like first thing that I'm thinking of here is right at the end. Hmm. It wasn't like a wake up moment. Mm-hmm. It was like a she was conscious of what she was doing and then became slightly more like completely aware. It wasn't like oh and, and then I woke up. You know what I mean? It was less than a minute long as she describes. Yeah, totally. And it was like I was screaming my husband's name or so I thought. Or was she just like thinking it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the weird but part. But if you hear yourself screaming the name, that's, again, that's like you're trapped in some sort of, like, yeah. I, I know, I know, Like I know. a sleep paralysis type moment. Again, you yes, think you're awake, but you're actually asleep, but maybe not. The creepy part to me was, like, okay, so there's a couple of things. I have questions here. Okay. I've got a couple of questions. First of all, <laughs> I want to know what the husband has to say about this. Because she says here the very thing, at the very beginning, she's like, I was lying on my side facing my husband. Is her husband asleep? Probably, I guess. Yeah, this is like in the middle of the night, presumably. I guess. She just says, horrible. I was lying on my side facing my husband. I, yeah, I'm assuming this is the middle of the night. But, second question. How can you see in the dark the children? Third question. Is this dresser real or imaginary? <laughs> I have so many questions. We also, well, she didn't say it was pitch black like Mr. Pike did. True. Right? So yeah. there's light from the window. There's light in the hallway. There's light somewhere. Question number four. Yes. What does she mean by the room was so chaotic it was almost vibrating? That, to me, is weird. I don't understand what that means. That's then, poltergeisty And then the, the whole hot-cold sensation thing, like, that's weird. So she's freezing on her 
what was it? The front of her body felt like it was on fire, and then her back was colder than she's ever experienced before or since. Like, that's insane. What I have you, what is never going on had there? these types of sensations in a dream. Ever. No. Ever. Being that hot or that cold and all listen, at once? Like, that's crazy. Chaotic? Like, I don't understand what the chaotic like, <laughs> is. Like, is it is it literally the energy of the room? Or are there things flying around? Like, I'm just so confused. It just almost sounds to me as if it's like... Yeah, like the walls themselves, the things around the scene that mm. she's observing is like static. It's Ooh, like yeah. move, it's like Yeah, smoother. it's like an old horror movie where you see like almost like the ring, you know, like the actual like cassette that was in the ring where it was like the, the yeah. haunted movie. Yeah. And it's like almost like these really weird blurry things where it's like coming from an old like nineteen fifties spooky thing, like a like a super eight film or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's reminded me of, where it's like, so that's weird to me. I'm just trying to picture what that might feel like. Right. I mean, needless to say, like, again, these are, there's, there's hundreds of these stories, right? But then on top of it, these kids, like, I don't get that either. Like, where are these kids coming from? They're the, they're the spooky, weird, horrifying little minions of the old hag. (laughs) They're literally just sitting there Mm -hmm. blissfully horrifying in their period clothes get some newer clothes Mm. listen any kid you see in a woolen hat that's Mm -hmm. a red flag big time red flag you do not want to be near any kids in woolen hats unless Mm -hmm. it's like a beanie with a pom-pom because if it's an old-timey woolen hat that kid just came out of the coal mine pepper kind of hat no that's no good and a white long sleeve button-up shirt with suspenders. Bad Anyways, news. yeah, no, it's definitely bad news bears. And then the other part that's so effing weird to me is like, hey, is this dresser? When you describe a dresser, is there a mirror on this dresser? Because that's what I'm picturing, like your Nana's old mirror and dresser thing, where it's like you can see yourself. Because she describes here at the foot of the bed there was a long dresser, and then she describes the kids, and then she says, "I could see a figure lying behind me," which is probably the creepiest part about this whole thing. You see it in the mirror. You, I can see a creature oh lying behind me, oh and then God. I felt ice cold fingers running down uh, my back, and that's why she felt like her back was colder than it ever felt before since, like because there was literally a like some sort of entity behind her, laying behind her. Like, that's so creepy. I'm getting shivers the way you're re-describing this right now. That's what that I mean. That is horrifying. Th- there's a lot packed so, into this. Like, yeah. So you know? if that's the way it actually was, she didn't I would, Yeah, she didn't say mirror, but that has to be the case. And then it's like, mm-hmm. these these children. She said she saw. She didn't feel. She saw. Are lit- no, but then she felt the ice cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Running down so her back. So that is the yeah. sensation. Running down her back. That's like the fingers of the hag. Mm-hmm. These children are just, like, demonic min... Like, they're just there. They're just, like, these... I'm just tossing that word out there, but, like, hey, people on the East Coast are Catholics, man. I guarantee you that's how they're describing this shit. Maybe. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly... <laughs> Ooh, it is very, very spooky. I mean, I got Black Eyed Kids vibes from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because they... She says their eyes were black or anything, but just, like, the period clothing. Like, the anachronistic clothes. Mm-hmm. Right? The... They're just sort of there, staring. Yeah. And then this, and then the hag effects still take place. Mm-hmm. So it is still a hag story. It is still the old hag. True. She's manifesting in different ways here. Mm-hmm. But you see the entity in the mirror. Oh, dear Lord. That's scarier yeah, know, than the right? first one. It is kind of weird. You know, 
Yeah, and it's interesting. So this is a woman that experiences. And there was another woman that Dale Jarvis accounts right after this that is very similar. Because she, it was her name was Krista Wall, and this was a little bit earlier. It was around 2004. But she describes these similar creepy children. <laughs> and she said she wasn't sure if she called the old hag sleep paralysis or what. But she had two dreams, quote-unquote. Or experiences, I guess you could call them. Mm-hmm. And bo- in both, it was two children in the doorway of her bedroom. But in her dream, it was a boy and a girl. So she can still remember in great detail what they looked like. This is a quote here. She says, she can picture the two like I saw it was yesterday. He had on a little jacket, gray with black buttons, with a short style pant and black boots. The girl had a gray and white dress about knee length, with no frills, very plain, black boots and laces, and black tights. Her hair was down with a little curl at the end. And both were blonde. And stood in the doorway looking at her. Remembered being cold. And then she tried to turn on a light and realized she couldn't move or scream. Huh. That's creepy. And then she says here, My grandmother also gets the hag. (laughs) She remembers being a young girl and her pop telling her that the demons had come for her. Jeez, <laughs> oh, mid not mincing so this words. This is so there. common. It's yeah. so common. Like it's not. Which it's which not, just makes you wonder. It's like yeah, it's, but know. that's to say it's like it's common. There's lots of common fables and old yeah. old sort of wives' tales and it's and creepy, stories. Man. This is not just a story that gets told. It's something no. that still happens to people. This one other guy. He's saying this Tony Power. He's saying. Other times, for him, this old woman appears at the foot of his bed and crawls up it, trying to choke him as he wakes up. Could you imagine that? It's one of the worst experiences you could ever have. Like, I can't imagine anything creepier than that. No, awful. And this just makes you wonder. It's like one of those, um, like, the film Sinister, where there's a very specific, uh, like, entity uh, named Bagul, right? There's, like, that Mm -hmm. I I can't remember the exact storyline there. It was, like, an ancient Sumerian deity or something or whatever, demon. But this is where it's, like, again, it's, like, a very specific, a Mm one-off of this of this horrible, horrible (laughs) world, wherever it's coming from or whatever, where it's, like, this is just what she does. You know what I mean? Like if there's a roster of if there's if there's if there's a roster of spooky yeah. spooky entities and each has their own thing, it's like the old hag, that's what she does. Yeah. It's one and category. Here she is doing it. And maybe the the um the hat man is in the same category, but yeah. he's in a different province. Yeah. He's in a different region. He's on he's a different team in the same league. You know, yeah, so it could be some sort of dream demon, as you kind of inferred here, mm. some sort of dream creature, something that comes to people in their sleep, and maybe it has to do with some sort of psychological state. Maybe there's something more to it than that. Well, I actually, that would be interesting because obviously we didn't have time and I didn't even think of it until just now. So that's also <laughs> part of the reason why it's not a part of this research. But honestly, this could be, an, it would be way too much work. But what if you followed the, like, I wonder if there's any more information there for the people who have experienced this stuff if after the fact other things happen. Like mm-hmm. they experience it not only again and again, but maybe there's detrimental health issues. Maybe there's, other forms of psychosis maybe there's other things that take place and that would lead into the dream demon thing where it's like yeah something is feeding here this isn't just random there no and people have done research on that and there's definitely things that attribute to having these experiences and a lot of people 
you know, when you go down, stress, obviously. yeah, stress is a huge thing. Having things like anxiety disorders, having panic disorders or social anxiety, uh, okay, experiencing trauma, PTSD is a huge thing. Okay. Uh, there's, sure. there's a lot that can bring it on, but, but a lot of about, experiences don't have those things. What about the people that aren't exactly? What if the people that aren't like, I don't know. I think everyone experiences some type of trauma in their life. I'm not going to like, course. you can't really fully evade that, but no. you know, even for me, okay, I'll just account this random experience. And I don't even know if I've, I may or may not have actually shared this on the show before. So all y'all listening can actually let me know. But, um, I had a similar experience one time, one time, like with the whole not being able to move. Essentially what happened was I woke up when we were actually staying in a hotel in Vancouver and we were staying in this room. Uh, was that the Sutton a, hotel? It was at the Sutton, I think. Yeah. Which is an older hotel. It is an older hotel and it was kind of creepy to be honest. It but is a bit. It's a bit spooky. weird. It's just kind of strange. And, and not that I was thinking about that at the time or anything like that. Like I wasn't creeped out. While we were there. not doing the show back then. So. I mean, we weren't. No, this was before we did the show. And <laughs> it was so weird because I remember we had gone to sleep and, you know, I didn't ever sleep well in hotels. So I kind of, I always wake up once or twice at least. And I did, but it was weird because when I woke up, I wasn't able to move. I was just frozen and I was frozen with my arms pinned to my side. And it was bizarre because I remember being lifted off the bed. And I was hovering, like, above the bed. And I was being... I, it was bizarre because I felt like I wasn't alone in the room. Like, even though I know you were there, it wasn't you. It was something else. And it wasn't something I could see. But I, I, was, I was being, like, rotated, like, in the air. It was so weird, and I, I couldn't control now. it, and I couldn't move, and I couldn't scream, I couldn't say anything. I don't like this. And I couldn't see, like I could, like I almost like I could look, like with my eyes, obviously, but I couldn't see what was doing it. And it was the weirdest thing because I just remember being an ironing board essentially, and it turned me all the way to the face, the bed that I was like sleeping on. And you saw me in the bed next to you and stuff. I don't remember seeing you in the bed, though. That's the thing. Like, I don't know about that. I just remember that part just being, like, it was so strange. So spooky, man. It is like a waking nightmare. And I don't really know what that was, but that's my only experience with that. And here's the thing that I'll say that to make, not to, like, make it sound more spooky, but just, like, to lend credence to these other stories. And, like, you had that experience. You have mm-hmm. never had another experience like no, that never. ever. Mm-mm. And not, not just with us since we've been together, but literally ever. No. And that, when you had that experience, that was in a foreign place that you had never been before. Mm-hmm. That was a, an extremely old building that I wasn't stressed though. It wasn't really like that. I don't think, but I'm just saying but. it matches up with some of the, with like Mr. Pike's story for sure. And it just is odd that it would happen there, mm-hmm. right? It's almost as if that was there a creepy was something room. doing it. I can <laughs> still remember I mean? that like room. Like, and like to be honest, I'm not. I don't have the best memory. <laughs> I'm just gonna admit it. <laughs> but I do remember that room. I <laughs> like, vaguely was, remember the room. It was well. creepy, man. Who not? Hmm. Oof. Woof. I think I got a picture of you looking out the window in that room. Really? Yeah. I wonder if like, we should re-examine that photo and see if there's anything you, there. <laughs> I remember it's like the curtains, and then you're just kind of like looking out the curtain, and it's kind of cool, but 
It was kind of like one of those old like. How many nights things. do we even stay there? I can't. Even like remember. one, I think. Was it literally just one night? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like yeah, one good night. thing because otherwise you might have sh- killed me in my sleep in the oh, second shush. night. <laughs> okay, before okay. we move on, before we move on, <laughs> you have uh, you you've told the shadow person story before on the show. I believe. Yeah, I think so. When I was young and I saw the sh- those, yeah. But just to repeat it again, because this matches up as well. well Did you want to quickly do that, yeah, that too? I guess, because, yeah, sure. But that, it's not a sleep paralysis thing. It's just literally... You saw it literally awake. I did. Yes. As far as I know. I was young, though. And, and, and I did go through some trauma when I was young. So that's kind of maybe could be a tribute to that. I didn't really sleep well as a child. So Cole's so, Notes version of this story. Yeah. Cole's Notes. I lived in a small duplex with my mom and sister. It was a two-bedroom. Uh, me and my sister slept in the same bedroom. Then my mom slept in the one right beside us. The doors were side by side. And then that was the end of the hall. So... We had a hall going down from those two doors. Yeah. And so every night I would usually wake up in the middle of the night and not be okay. So I would go to my mom's room. (laughs) And one night I did that and I just kind of settled in. And then I happened to look into the hall and I could see two. It wasn't one. It was distinctly two figures. They're very long, very lanky, like almost human-esque, but grotesque like kind of monstrous like exaggerated and they were very ominously kind of like creeping into my bedroom and I just remember because I always left the door to my mom's bedroom open and so I could see them in the hall and it was a really dark hall because there was nothing in there it was just black kind of you know there was a bathroom but we always closed the door and so it was just like it was black on black kind of but it was a the darcest black with these shadows so creeping the into, yeah, with their elongated things. And I just remembered them going into the room. And I was just so terrified that I couldn't move. And so I just watched. And I shut my eyes and, and like, you know, you know, classic kid move where you just, like, throw the blankets over you and you pretend you didn't see it. And I literally thought they were going to come for me. So I literally just, like, shut my eyes and just tried to sleep. And I was like, so scared and I guess I must have fallen asleep eventually but that was creepy and I remember like not wanting to go into the bedroom in the morning but then my sister was okay and I was just really weirded out by it and I was just not okay about it (laughs) I don't even know if I talked to them I don't even think I mentioned it to them I don't even think I brought it up really I don't think I did ever no to this day no they still don't know that story I don't I Everyone else listening now knows that story from Amber's youth. But that is spooky. They man. don't? Uh, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Now, um, I imagine that some people listening might have had a sim- similar experience hmm. in their childhood. Uh, you know, I definitely had reoccurring nightmares, but they, I knew they were nightmares. I knew mm-hmm. they were dreams. Um, that is different. And obviously, these cases of the old hag are, are different. And uh, that's why we thought we would kick things off with uh, with the, with those stories because very true, yeah. It is indeed really really spooky stuff. It, it's true. It is spooky and it's creepy AF, and yes. I don't really know. And there's things that people will say like, "Oh, it's just it's just sleep paralysis." But hey, if you've ever kind of experienced anything along those lines, it's not you, you, just you, anything. No, <laughs> it's not. No, you know, <laughs> something more. Yeah. Something more. 
not to even just even no, we're not even dipping our toes into the a discussion about the world of dreams and what is mm. real within them or not either because that is a completely different thing too like there's literally people that wake up from some of these experiences that are like oh shit it was just a dream and then there's physical markings did they mm. do it to themselves or not yeah. I don't, they don't know hmm. it's very very strange totally yeah you nevertheless know. we are moving on to part <laughs> part two it's not story two away from stories of the old hag we have a true story mm. which is awesome so we are heading over to Pitcairn island the island of horrors we might call it or in some articles it's been referred to as the real life lord of the flies situation <laughs> Basically, what we're dealing with here is uh, a descent into madness uh, and extreme isolation, I think, are probably the two aspects of this that make it so dark. Mm, it's a very dark history, that's yeah. for sure. This is one of those things that once in a while, you know, on this show, we encounter things that, like, at first glance aren't all that bizarre, or at least not paranormal-seeming, per se, but they're rather this examination of strangeness and darkness that we can, like, see definitively because it's an aspect of history. And then ponder to ourselves, you know, what the hell is going on here? And we've done this before with the People With No Fire episode, Horrors at Portlock. This one is especially violent, although Portlock was definitely a violent story as well. But this one involves a cast of historical kind of classics. It's like mutinies, extremely remote islands. If you're into pirates, this is the kind of thing that you'd be interested in. But it's basically like Lord of the Flies kind of stuff for, the, pe for people who are familiar with that story. Mm -hmm. Read it in high school. I'm sure most of us read that in high school, middle school. <laughs> so today we look at uh, one such mysterious place. This was once dubbed one of the most, well, it is dubbed one of the most remote places in the world. And one of the strangest aspects of it is that no one actually believed that this island among many in this area existed at all. They weren't proven to have existed until the late 1700s. And they were part of just this mythos because there would be these traveling ships blown off course for the most part that would paint a picture of sort of strange and potentially horrific places that weren't on official maps at all. So, Amber, tell us exactly how remote this place was. Yeah. No, this is far out there. And, you know, it, it, yeah, it is a volcanic island chain located in the Pacific Ocean, the Southern Pacific to be exact. And it's known as the Pitcairn Group of Islands. Uh, yeah. yeah. This, these uh, series of islands are 3,000 miles or just over 4,800 kilometers from any continent. Yeah. Uh, existing approximately somewhere halfway between New Zealand and the Americas. Right. So just way the hell out there. It's actually kind of funny if you do Google map it. Because it's just so remote. You just keep zooming out and zooming out and zooming out. And then you realize, you're like, holy moly. Yeah. Like, if you think somewhere like Hawaii is remote. Oh, God, yeah. This <laughs> is, like, you know, and, and it's, it's small, too. I think it makes up, what, like, the size of, like, Central Park or something like that? Yeah, that was one of the stats. It's literally mm -hmm. the size of Central Park in New York. Oh, here it is here. Uh, Measuring just 2.2 miles or 3.6K. From east to west. Yeah, exactly that. It's about the size of New York Central Park. Right. That's pretty nuts. Uh, this is actually a statement from the Pitcairn office of New Zealand. Uh, it says here, the islands are currently accessible only by sea. Uh, quarterly passenger slash supply ship uh, visits um, providing three voyages per quarter to Pitcairn Island with up to 12 visitor berths per voyage. So right. that's pretty small numbers 12 there. people can get over there on a trip. 
Yeah. At a time. <laughs> yeah. It makes this one of the most remote places in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's crazy because it's a protectorate or it's like a... It's a British territory. The last British protectorate, actually. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But its its closest geographical uh, mainland is New Zealand, so that's where its administrative office is, because the, and the UK just pays for it, because yeah. it's just, that's how crazy far away it is from anything else remote, mm-hmm. remotely, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, related to the United Kingdom, so, yeah. Not crazy. a lot going on. No, or um, is there? Well, I don't know. Well. <laughs> it's kind of nuts to think that, like, we're talking about, like, the current modern population, like, you know, being discovered, quote-unquote, in the late 1700s, but the history of the islands with human inhabitants goes back much further. And there was a Polynesian, I should say, history of Pitcairn Islands, despite it being so remote. And it's kind of interesting because these Polynesians uh, were expanding, and they were going to a lot of different places. And they happened to land here sometime in the 11th century. And uh, it's interesting because they were around for a while. It was about 400 years. And then, for whatever reason, they decided to up and leave. Yeah, because... There's no real reason for it. No. There's no no catastrophic sort of indicators, no geologic things. Right. Who knows, though? It was quite a while ago. They're like one of those sort of like... um, It's a strange history with Polynesian history because they were like such an advanced seafaring, you know, different seafaring cultures. But they didn't necessarily like leave tons of... In, like hmm. in, in this case, there's lots of artifacts, but they're yeah. not exactly like painting the full picture as to like what the hell happened because no. they could have they could have just moved on to somewhere else. But it's like, why would you do that? You made all the effort to get there. The resources are still there. Mm-hmm. It's sort of odd. It's almost it's like a, there's yeah. something a little fishy there. It's understudied to say the least, I guess. And there is a lot, like you said already. Yeah, there are quite a few artifacts, including stone tools. There are other things such as um, these uh, quote-unquote roughly hewn stone gods that are allegedly guarding sacred sites of what we may or may not actually right. fully Burial comprehend. Burial sites or just worship sites, different exactly. things, sacrificial places possibly. I don't know. There are other things that are interesting, including representations of animals and humans that have been carved into cliff faces, petroglyphs, uh, burial sites with human remains, other sort of handy things such as earth ovens and gouges and other sort of relics so this is something all the aspects of a civilization right oh a rich history but understudied and that's acknowledged by the auckland museum they they hold a wealth of these artifacts and it has not really been uh what's the word analyzed properly yeah well i mean uh everyone listening will maybe get a better sense as to perhaps why that's the case because i don't I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the vibes uh, going over there and staying for extended periods for archaeological expeditions might not be uh, might not be the first on people's list. Let's just say, let's say yeah, that. Extremely is, remote. After hearing this story, though, you'd think someone would latch on to like an art, you know, like a team of some kind of. Hey, maybe maybe it's up. For That's grab, what is so, so strange about it. Hmm. hmm. Well, why haven't people taken maybe that it's on? cursed? Who knows? Right. Because it's like we've been saying this whole time, there seems to be a certain darkness that exists on the islands and whether or not it began with the Polynesians or it may be more so with this colonial, more modern day 
narrative. Right. We don't know. Right. But this is kind of funny because it's like <laughs> we have here in our notes, first spotted and recorded in the mid 1700s, 1776 to be exact here. Right. But obviously not for the first time. This is just from a European perspective. Of course. And there was a captain and his name was Philip Carteret and he had this to say about the discovery. Quote, we discovered land to the northward of us. Upon approaching it the next day, Friday, July 3rd, it appeared like a great rock rising from the sea. And having been discovered by a young gentleman, son of Major Pitcairn of the Marines, we called it Pitcairn's Island. There we have it. There we go. That's where the name comes from. The elaborate reason for the name. (laughs) Yeah, so Karen. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a, sure. Yeah. Right. Of course. Of course it's named after some bloke. Yep. Should we get to the, uh, the juicy stuff? I think we should. Because like, yeah, sure. We're saying it was discovered, quote unquote, for the but no, there was another group that. Shortly after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically how this all started was with, uh, a very, 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 very dark mission, uh, involving the slave trade. Uh, in 1778, the HMS Bounty uh, set sail from England, and basically its mission was to, uh, well, first, first things first, let's, let's put it this way. It wasn't, it wasn't originally called the Bounty. Uh, first off, their ship was already endowed with some bad luck because it was sailing under a different name. And we know, I think we've mentioned on Into the Portal before, that this is a kind of a big no-no when it comes mm-hmm. to maritime bad luck and, like, curses and things like that. It was originally a coastal trading ship named the uh, Bethia, but then it was refitted, changed a little bit, and rechristened as the Bounty. Hmm. Some people see that as okay, but from a lot of hardened sailors, this was definitely, like, a big no-no. So maybe this is, was the first impetus for setting this all this darkness in motion. But basically, on the 23rd of December, 1787, Christmas be damned, I suppose, for this uh, expedition, <laughs> under the com- command of a man named William Bly, they headed out through the English Channel, and uh, on October 26th of 1788, after a difficult voyage, like, this is a long time. That's one thing that's already horrific about this. Could you imagine being on this ship? Hmm. You leave in December on December 1787, and you're still out there. <laughs> cruising on October 26th of 1788, just through super rough waters. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, The bounty was battling just horrible, horrible voyages here, but finally arrived off the coast of Tahiti, and their mission was to head into the Pacific coast to collect breadfruit plants in order to supplement the diet of slave uh, plantations in the West Indies (laughs) owned by the British. How heroic. Hmm. Dark, (laughs) dark stuff. Maybe they were cursed just for that alone. Right? Uh, so this was already, and the West Indies, like any, any slave plantation was bad, but I distinctly remember this from undergraduate history courses where there was cases where basically the West Indies plantations were known to be some of the worst really? on earth okay. as far as like torture, hmm. the, the living conditions. I mean, it's bad everywhere, but the, this was apparently one of the worst possible places. Mm-hmm. So, however, after having stopped in Tahiti, they stuck around there. They were there for about five months, and this was too long because the crew of the Bounty was starting to get used to the weather and hilariously referenced in a lot of different sources, they were getting used to the loose women in Tahiti. Mm. Apparently, the, the, the Tahitians 
and uh, different island peoples in general at this time were uh, were down for the naughty stuff compared to stuffy old 1700s oh, England. Sure. That's for sure. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, even just comparatively, I mean, like you show your ankle in 1700s England, that's a scandal. So I guess anything so. beyond that would be just yeah. Graceland for these sailors who had already been on a boat with just a men graceful. for like a year plus. <laughs> I guess that's eh? scary stuff, really. Yeah, I'm scared Yikes. for the Tahitians, really. That's what I—that's what I mean. I mean, good heavens. Okay, <laughs> all right. So they're getting used to this. They're getting used to the tropical fruits, the general lifestyle, and they didn't want to give this up. And things were starting to get pretty tense because uh, the suggestions from their superiors were that this was going to have to end at some point. Plus, there was something more strange going on where some of the men were actually beginning to show signs of a type of madness already. This Hmm. is before even getting to the infamous Pitcairn Island that we will talk about. So it didn't take long before the mutiny was hatched, and the captain's first mate, a man by the name of Fletcher Christian, began rounding up all the support for this cause, which was not hard to do because of the reasons I just said. Hmm. However, Hmm. what made it more dark and strange was that they were like really close friends. Fletcher Christian and Captain Bly knew each other. Uh, Their families hung out. They babysat each other's children. Their wives were friends. This is a quote from historian uh, George Nichol regarding the mutiny. The mutiny is made more mysterious by the friendship of Christian and Bly, which dates back to Bly's days in the merchant service. Christian was well acquainted with the Bly family. As Bly was being sent adrift, he appealed to his friendship, this friendship, saying, You have dandled my children upon your knee. (laughs) According to Bly, Christian appeared disturbed by this and replied that Captain Bly, That is the thing. I am in hell. I am in hell. Hmm. So it was almost as if he was already kind of had lost his marbles. It wasn't just that they were like, damn, fruits are nice. Tahitian women are nice. Hmm. Constant sun and not living in London is nice. (laughs) Uh, It was something maybe a little bit bit more than that. Hmm. But that's pretty dark stuff. You uh, completely abandoned this friendship. So they left Tahiti on the 4th of April of 1789 and Fletcher just said, you know what, Bly, and the 18 loyalists that were uh, sticking around with Captain Bly, Mm -hmm. see you later. They set him adrift in a rowboat and uh, for 18 days on the high seas. After 18 days. Yeah, well, basically, or sorry, right, after 18 days. Actually, that's correct. I think it didn't take quite that long. It was two weeks or so. That was a 42-day voyage. There it is. Way longer than two weeks. Okay, so there's left to be dead. They're left for dead. (laughs) They're completely left for dead. <laughs> and miraculously, this guy, William Bly, <laughs> this is like Revenant. Is this is like the Revenant type stuff. It kind of like is. Like if he went, wanted to go Over after a Fletcher, month right? In a rowboat? So he sets these guys adrift. They barely have enough uh, supplies to keep themselves alive. Uh, basically, they had five days worth of food and water Jeez. left in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. That's ridiculous. That's Wow. Okay. Yeah. He somehow finds a way to navigate for 42 days and island hopping and eventually makes it back to England. Over 4,000 miles. That's insane. (laughs) And you know what's funny? It's even more crazy that that Bly survived two mutinies in his career. Not just one. Yeah. There was this and there was another That's a little bit suspect. I mean, the guy was kind of a hard ass. Wow. Like, he had it... He... He didn't, like, have it coming, but he also, like, wasn't... He wasn't in the best business. No, his self-preservation capabilities, like, weren't that great. Like, he could have maybe potentially... Like, I don't think he was the best, like, psychologist, let's say that. He wasn't reading the room. (laughs) No. Very well. (laughs) 
You know what I'm saying? He a was he was a, he had the Michael Scott level of being able to read the room, <laughs> basically. Oh, um, man. Well, I guess all this was happening to Bly, and he would have been pretty preoccupied. Like, I wonder how long it actually took him. Like, he was surviving on the open seas for 42 days and then eventually makes it back to England. Yeah. So it'd probably take another, what, like eight months or something like that? Yeah. Like, jeez. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, it would have taken a hot sack. Yeah. And oh, then, meanwhile, easy. you got all these mutineers on, along their way, you know, and they're trying to find a place to basically set up shop. And there was nine of mutineers along with 18 Polynesians, consisting of six men and 11 women and one child. And they were seeking a new home to be safe from capture. Because there was actually another group that did end up staying in the Tahitian Islands and they yes. were caught pretty quickly. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Idiots. Like, how did yeah. you think that was going to mm-hmm. work out? No, Obviously, Bly's going to come, like, well, they thought he would be dead, I guess. Yeah. They just thought that, like, Fletcher would take care of him, and then it would take years before anyone even knew that this had happened. True. Yeah. And it didn't work well, out Well, of course. That way. News doesn't travel that fast those days. Well, not when Bly survives and makes it back. I and guess, anyway, yeah, they okay. wouldn't even, yeah, they wouldn't expect him to survive at all. No. No. A rowboat in the middle of the in the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> it's almost more cruel than just nineteen. Them. Oh, way worse. Mm-hmm. Nineteen people with five days worth of supplies. It's a miracle. With, it's insane. With five days worth of supplies. Basically, uh, yeah, that's the one quote I had here. Mm-hmm. Uh, where was it from? We can come back to it mm-hmm. if you wanted to continue on. I'll look for this. So, anyways, this um, this group, let's call it. They ended up arriving on the Pitcairn Islands in January of 19, or sorry, 1790. Right. And that's where they decided to burn and sink the bounty, which is actually still visible as a wreck in Bounty Bay today. Yeah. And to the rest of the world, the mutineers had seemingly vanished at this point. Right. And so, of course, they thought they were free. And life was interesting. <laughs> Let's say that much. Because, mm. um, yeah, almost quicker than some might expect, things started to get pretty dark. And you might have, maybe it explains it because you might have already been experiencing it on the islands and even before the voyage home began kind of thing. Right. So it, it was, uh, it's most, most often, I should say, described as a descent into a type of madness. Okay. So, tensions. Tensions are mounting here. There are very few women on the islands, which, again, it's like, yeah. you guys didn't really think this out, I don't no, think. No, You know what I mean? No. And um, the men are starting to get restless. There are a few women, uh, part of the Tahitian, uh, you know, that population, I guess you'd say. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not a great situation. No. It says here, uh, this is according to the Pitcairn Island official website in their historical, historical documents. It says that the land was divided among the mutineers only, and the Polynesian men were allotted none. No. And furthermore, six of the men were treated as slaves. The six, I should say, that were Polynesian were treated as slaves because... Um, yeah, because that was just the way they ruled. Yeah. Of course, right? It's, it's, you know, colonial times, it's dark times. And they, they, they were still given... This It all sounds so horrible, the way it's, we're even phrasing this, right? It's like, so the Polynesian men were still given some women to share they had amongst to share. them. Yeah. So it was like Great. one Good wife for, the women, for every probably. three or four or whatever. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So you can imagine, people aren't happy. They weren't Mormon. It's just no. so that. And so people were getting more and more angry. And of course, as they're beginning to be treated as slaves, this is inviting some sort of retribution. 
and secretly these men began plotting to kill all of the mutineers on the island. And so within the first year alone, this plot was hatched, and after the first year, (laughs) well, not even after the first year, it was only a few months, five of the mutineers would be murdered by the Polynesian men. So, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, how it begins. Yeah. That's how it begins. It's not good. So they, Lines have been drawn. <laughs> yeah. And by all account, like, there's no actual official uh, confirmation as to how they were murdered. Mm-hmm. Because the the actual bodies of most of these men haven't been found. Like, the remains and, like, there's no, like, a formal graves of most of these They're people. They're probably just thrown off a cliff. Possibly. Uh, the only reason they know we know who was on the island was because of the records of the ship and the records mm. of who was rounded up in Tahiti. Oh, yeah. And also records then later left on the island of, like, what had gone on and things like that. Some yeah. references. But naturally after this, the mutineers decide to re- retaliate. Mm-hmm. So dividing lines even further and just turning the island into a complete bloodbath. They proceeded to capture and either shoot in execution style or by some accounts beat to death uh, with the butts of their guns possibly other objects the very few remaining polynesian men on the island it was either two or three there was Mm -hmm. basically like a couple polynesian men left Mm. and they had basically readied themselves to try to make another offensive to defend themselves Mm -hmm. but their wives betrayed them the only wi- their women in <laughs> had betrayed them. What the heck, man? Um, because clearly there was still some uh, hanky-panky happening with the mutineers, too. Like, it wasn't just like, here's your wives and share them. I, mm-hmm. think, uh, I think it was more than that. Probably. Either way, they knew about their plot to sneak in the night and try to take the island for themselves. And, uh, yeah, warned the remaining mutineers beforehand in knowing of the danger. Hmm. They, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, December of 1790, the remaining indigenous men were were then additionally murdered, shot point blank, just like the first time, tit for tat, back and forth, murderous bloodbath, basically, <laughs> getting mm-hmm. at no one anywhere. But mysteriously, actually, according to how the history is worded on the Pitcairn Island website, even before anyone found out about this plot um, from the Polynesian men, mm-hmm. there was two of the original... Uh, original Polynesian men immediately when they landed on the island that mysteriously died, quote-unquote. Mm. I couldn't find this in any other references. It was literally just that they had mysteriously died. Hmm, yeah, let's just say I don't really think it makes sense for um, indigenous Polynesian people to be catching seasickness or something or, like, whatever and, like, not making it on no. the voyage type of thing. It's uh, They, they just, were definitely murdered on the ship. Yeah, it was <laughs> or, just coercion tactics and fear tactics so that the rest of them would obey. They were probably the yeah. two strongest of the Polynesians possibly. And, and then murdered because they were the, probably already hatching plans. Who knows? Who knows? Very precarious situation here, obviously. Yeah. And obviously... Yeah, if they were killed right on the island, their bodies are uh, have been dispersed in unmarked graves, never to be found again on the on Pitcairn because there's been no extensive mm-hmm. lidar or archaeological search done. Hmm. So that's <laughs> the first aspect of things uh, very dark and isolated and very Halloweeny here on Pitcairn Island. But thinking that shrinking the population was going to improve anything was silly. 
because as the population got even smaller on the island, tensions kept growing, and everyone seemed to descend even further into a type of paranoia. There was two mutineers, one by the name of Ed Young and another by the name of John Adams, and they were becoming particularly concerned about the mental state of another crew member named uh, Matthew Quintal. Basically, one night they just decided that uh, they were going to take the risk. They uh, snuck up on him, tied him up, and uh, executed him for the mm. good of the community, as really? it was noted in the note there. How journals. noble. Yeah, exactly how he was executed, presumably hung. He did not have a formal grave. Another mutineer completely lost his mind, believing that there was something coming for him on the island. While he was drunk uh, one evening on locally distilled beer, which potentially could be one of the causes of this. Uh, There could be some funky things going on in that fermentation. But still, he was descending into this state where he believed that there was some sort of a darkness after him, and he threw himself off a cliff into the dark ocean waters, never to be seen again. Or did someone throw him off? Ooh, that's another possibility. A lot of the uh, sites, including the Pitcairn official site, state that he slipped and fell... Mm-hmm. where multiple, multiple others state the opposite, that he either committed suicide from hating living on this island mm-hmm. uh, or the sins of what they had done, believing perhaps that William Bly yeah. was dead, and along with the 18 loyalists that they just left adrift mm-hmm. in the middle of the ocean. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, something seems to be keeping on screwing with these guys. I guess so, eh? And uh, maybe it's not just the... Put it this way. There's other places on Earth at this time where there's very similar sized, very small populations, Mm -hmm. and this wasn't taking place. No. So whether or not it all started off with renaming the ship... Personalities is just like a... Yeah, maybe it's just a... Yeah. It's just a recipe for disaster so far. It's a boiling pot. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, by 1800, things were uh, a lot different. I guess so, eh? All the Polynesian men were killed. There was only one mutineer remaining by the name of John Adams. And there were some original Polynesian women along with, wow, 19 children. So these guys were getting busy. Yeah, there was some... I feel kind of bad for those women, to be honest. But yeah, no doctor or midwife on the island. No, no. So there you go. John Adams was basically the founder of what the current settlement is that still remains on the island. And his is the only grave that was ever to be found of anyone that originally landed there. So (laughs) the only official hmm. marked grave. Yeah. Wow. That's kind of, that's a little suspect, is it not? It is. It's not very, it's not a very good start. No. You know, like like there's no, there's no quaint little graveyard for the people who, because there were others that passed away from illness, mm-hmm. quote unquote, as it's documented, or other other things like that. Not just murder, but if they just passed away from illness, then why are they not buried with yeah. Christian burials and crosses? Exactly. Very suspect. Hmm. They don't want the evidence to be uncovered <laughs> no, no, or unburied, unearthed, essentially. And yeah, no, it was darkness all around. The the, men, the mention of Fletcher Christian, the very top there, the guy that started the whole thing, the mutineer and everything like that, right, who was the right. friend of William Bly. Mm-hmm. He allegedly was one of those that was murdered in the, uh, the mutineer side of things. Claimed by Adams, along with his wife, claimed that he was murdered between, like during a conflict between the Titian men and the mutineers. Hmm. So yeah, this uh, 
this is interesting. There's another yeah. account uh, by a pit Karen woman by the name of Jenny who said that Christian was actually shot while working by a pond next to his home. But, again, nobody knows for sure. No. Mm-hmm. And they all, obviously, like, the, the women in particular on this island are extremely close. They're extremely tight-knit. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that, like, what's the word? Like, it's not facetiously. I don't even, I don't mean to be funny by saying that because, like, obviously they are, they are very close-knit uh, in the sense that um, there was a lot of incest on yeah. the island in the early years. And there uh, still not being is a lot in of, modern times, And there's apparently. still uh, allegedly, or, well, not allegedly, there is in modern times. Let's just say this place is not... Uh, improved its reputation uh, really. over the last It was kind of weird, though, because, like, even just before we get into modern times here, the, um, the idea that Adams was, like, basically forgiven by the British crown for everything yeah. Yeah. and allowed to just kind of, like, be the, the mayor, quote-unquote, or, like, the founder of this place up until well, his death. Well, I think because it was because they had already been satisfied with all the hangings they had done with the mutineers they rounded up in Tahiti mm-hmm. that didn't run away. Mm-hmm. Because Fletcher was the main culprit of this uh as far as Bly was testimonies True. was concerned yeah adams um because of the time that had passed and the enough uh, necks that had been broken at the noose uh, i think <laughs> the crown was just kind of like well i guess we're just gonna take keep this island and you can stay here yeah and that's easier for us than bringing you back and having just yet another guy at the gallows basically i guess so you know yeah. politics man <laughs> politics <laughs> today 47 inhabitants of the four uh, original families of this ill-fated island uh, remain that sort of carry with it this definitely, definitely, I don't know if you want to call it evil history. four families on the island. Yeah. I mean, there's other people there, but four of, like, four main, like, you know, the nucleus Mm -hmm. families are there uh, with 47 people. Mm -hmm. Since 2013, there's been 700 inquiries Roughly per year, on average, of people interested interested in taking free land that's offered hmm. on free. Pitcairn. Free, no it is free. Apparently, there's what even some assistance it? with building and stuff too. Actually, I thought of this because it's actually on a relatively uh, similar line uh, line as uh, some of the wine growing regions in uh, New Zealand. Oh, really? And so yeah. it's like its climate actually is pretty interesting it's kind of a temperate climate like it's it's tropical but it doesn't get too ridiculously hot and it doesn't obviously get cold hmm. because you're in this point in the pacific interesting. so actually uh they grow a lot of things there uh they do grow fruits there's fruit trees there mm-hmm. they farm honey apparently is like their main tourist thing where there's like massive uh, what are they called apiaries yeah where they produce honey but for some reason despite these inquiries that are made 700 a year since 2013 no one has actually made a formal application, even despite mm. a couple of people visiting, you know, going as one of those 12 passengers mm. allowed on the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only way to get there, you cannot get there by plane. You cannot get there any other way than a massive cargo ship that just happens to be chugging its way through the, the Pacific <laughs> quarterly. Um yeah. And I think the reason of this is, like we said, things have not changed much over the last few hundred years. There's just been hundreds upon hundreds of accounts of sex abuse, incest, child abuse, uh, different horrors like this among, like, just general violence. There have been a few other murders on the island, like, killings on the island. And the British government actually in 2006 set up a small prison 
um, to house the men to serve sentences that were laid out in the early 2000s for these crimes. What about the mayor? He was, like, accused of it. Yeah, there was the mayor in 2016 uh, who was charged, I believe, with possession of child pornography on his computer. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So the question Hmm. is, would you... Move to Pitcairn <laughs> Island. <laughs> Free land, everybody. You set up a cottage. Yeah. It's got some... You know what? You look at it on Google. It's beautiful. Beautiful waters. Great diving. The, the weather's nice. You got tropical fruits. The fishing, apparently, is unbelievable. So what the hell happened here? <laughs> Who knows? Because it, it clearly can't hold on. To, it can't escape the, uh, the history that it, it's stained with. No. It just keeps happening. It and it is keeps... not as if people are like, well, oh, well, it's just super remote, so it makes sense. It's a know. refuge for weirdos and crazies. It's like, well, yeah, but when you get caught and you're in one a place like that, you are isolated on an island in the most remote place in the world. It's not exactly a good place to hide. People think about it as a good place to hide. It's mm-hmm. actually one of the worst places to hide because it's 2022. <laughs> people guess. know it's there. People and do. And if you do something people bad, are watching. you are going to get caught for it much quicker, mm. easier, and there's nowhere to run. So I'm not buying that. People think, oh, I live in such a remote place, I have my privacy, maybe. I don't know. Privacy to do... All sorts of ungodly things. ungodly things. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Well, and that's that. That is the story of Pitcairn Island, the island of horrors, the real-life Lord of the Flies, where these uh, mutineers descended into madness, drinking home-brewed beer, uh, murdering each other, murdering Polynesians, jumping off cliffs believing that strange forces were after them on the islands. And, yeah, I think that pretty Who much knows? does it. I think yeah. that pretty much sums it up. I guess yeah. so. We would love to hear what you guys think about all of the stories that we've talked about here, uh, especially the, the first ones, like the old hag. Yeah. Because I'm curious if anyone listening has experienced anything similar to the shadow person story that you told, something like the old hag, if not the old hag itself. Anyone out there? I wonder. That is wild we want to hear stuff. it. Would love to hear it. So yeah, hit us up. I know we haven't been on here for a while. So into the porno mailbox at gmail.com. That is the best place to reach us. Other well, other go. than DMing us on the socials at Into the Portal Podcast on Instagram, mm-hmm. Into the Portal One on Twitter. I'm still on there doing doing stuff. And we wanted to do a massive thank you to our producers. We got Adam Kellums. We have Kitsune. And uh, I still want to give another thank you to Jackson Greenberg, who is no longer a, a current producer, but was a, a, a longtime producer and really was a big part of supporting the show. So thank Definitely. you so much. And uh, yeah, Adam shout and Aaron Kitsune. Blo- Bloom and too. shout out to Aaron Bloom as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, massive supporter of the show. And, uh, you know, we've uh, we yeah, we've still stayed in touch with him despite not releasing as frequently. But uh, we would love to get back to that. And this hopefully it yeah. starts here. So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, yeah, Comment below, so leave a rating and review of the show. Five star ratings and reviews really help us out on Apple Podcasts. We are still doing this show, so the we more are. five star ratings and reviews will, will really help us out and kind of keep things rolling. And thank you so much to all of our Patreon supporters, not just our producers, thank but all you, of our everybody. Patreon supporters, the people who have stuck around for sure. You know, there's a couple new episodes up there. I did a, a solo episode on some big ass lizards. That was really fun. <laughs> And uh, people seem to enjoy that. So that's up there on Patreon for all tiers Mm -hmm. and working on a few other projects for uh, some of our uh, upper tiers as well as all tier projects as well. Speaking of big ass lizards, we should shout out Adam Thorne. Oh, yes, absolutely. And what's his partner on there again? Caveman. Caveman uh, caveman Rob something. Something or other. Caveman Rob. On 
Kings of Pain. Kings of Pain, baby. It's a pretty what dope a great show. show. Yeah. So much fun. Yeah. You know, and we we had seen it a little bit here and there, like season one, but we didn't like you know, plow through it right away and now we're we're hooked. Yeah. And we know uh we don't we've we've Adam I think has followed us for a little while and we followed him and so much fun watching these guys get bit by things. <laughs> It's so awesome. It's great. Really fun. Maybe we could get him on the show. Yeah. Um, talk about that. Talk about other adventures and stuff. I know he's big into conservation and things like that. He'd probably be down to talk about like lost cities and other stuff related to jungles and weird places where you can get bit by shit. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's been really fun. But thank you all so, so much for listening. Um, we appreciate you all. We really appreciate you all. Yeah. And stay tuned for more. It's coming. Mm-hmm. So until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bizarre. <laughs>